Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Welcome back to Bright Hearth. I'm Brian Sauvet, and here as usual with... I almost forgot my own name there for a second. <laughs> it's been quite a day, faithful <laughs> listeners. We are, it, it is taking an enormous amount of discipline for us to record this <laughs> podcast tonight. Because let me just tell you, at the beginning of this day, began with some we upset tummies. We love covers over many events, it does, as you always say. As it does. So, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm telling you this, faithful listener, so that you don't think that our children and we ourselves are like some sin-free Garden of Eden here in Ogden, Utah, in the midst of the Mormons, like a secret Garden of Eden here in Ogden. No, uh, we ourselves deal with much sin and uh, many weeds to pull. So, uh, but welcome back. We are continuing in our walk through the rooms of the house, aiming to recover the lost arts of homemaking and the productive Christian household. And so it is fitting that we would be talking on a day like this where we have had to practice what we preach and also fail at practicing what we preach and pick it up again and keep going by the grace of God. So today we are continuing in the living room. We're putting this one in the living room, even though the topic of our conversation takes place outside of the house itself, which is parenting in the pews. So we're talking about littles in church with you in the corporate worship gathering and we're going to talk about why we believe you should have your children with you in the corporate worship gathering. And then we're going to talk about some practical tips uh, and help that we think can get you moving in the right direction if that feels impossible to you or um, if you feel like it's not worth it, you know, because a lot of the time I think people get overwhelmed and they're like, why am I in church at all? My kids are so difficult. I think Lexi could say, trust me, she's been there. <laughs> We're doing this one in the living room because actually a lot of the training that we're going to talk about, it does begin in the home. You can't just all of a sudden pick it up on Sunday and expect the kids to know what they're doing. But sound good? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm like zoning out. <laughs> <laughs> She's zoning out. You remember, everyone was, everyone was on Patreon and, and all the various platforms like saying it's my, the best part of the podcast is the commentary of... <laughs> how horizontal Lexi gets over the t over the course of the podcast here. Because we are, again, in our living room. Or not in our living room. We're in our bedroom recording this. So anyway, let's start, Lexi, with why we believe that you should have your kids with you in the service and why we think that that's one of the most important things you can do for their discipleship and why even... And we mean that even if there's a fancy kids ministry at your church where they're like, we'll take your kids, we'll give them a latte... We'll give them some flannel graphs. They'll do some crafts. There'll be someone dressed up like a bunny on Easter. They'll do the whole thing, even though that be available, uh, which we hope someday that's no longer a thing, but that's for a different episode. Even if that's available, we think you should have your kids with you. So any thoughts on on why, why that is? How would you convince somebody of that? I mean, there's multiple reasons that come to mind. First, Scripture's kind of clear that, like, in the hearing of the word, the people that are present, it's a mixed age group. It we, we don't see anywhere, even when Paul is talking in the, the New Testament letters are being written, 
I mean, read aloud after he writes them, there's sections that are addressed to children, which means the children were in the group with the parents. And Mm. if you take the model that you're alluding to, there's never a time in a church event ever that the children will be with the parents ever, 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 ever. Oh, if you go with the modern (laughs) kids ministry model. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, I was talking to a friend last night and she was asking me some questions about how to handle navigating relationship with her parents. And she's like, well you know, we never went to church with my parents even growing up. So maybe it's weird for my parents to even want to consider coming to a church where we are now. And I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of a weird, that's true. We, in a lot, most of us did not grow up in churches where we actually went and sat beside our parents in the pew. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it was pretty normal in my childhood. So we had both when I was, when I was younger and we lived in England. We went to a church where it was a little bit more normal. And I remember, I, I remember lots of hilarious memories actually in the pews um, because it was a little bit more of a charismatic church. And so there was this one guy every week that would dance down the aisle and sing really loud. My dad was like the white guy in the choir, which was awesome because he is very, he has a very exuberant personality, my dad, in public. And he loves to, you know, be the center of attention. Mm hmm. Not really. My dad is not like that at all. But they'd be up there singing like, he's my rock, my rock, my rock, my soul, my shield. But anyway, then uh, when we moved to Utah, the church that uh, I spent more time at growing up was more, it was more normal for you to be in kids ministry than junior high, than senior high ministry. So I think it was, I was on staff at the church by the time, as a worship leader for the adult service, by the time I really ended up in the adult service. So a lot of yeah. you have probably experienced similar yeah. trajectories. So that's what I would say is like the the ex- expectation that scripture sets is that it is a mixed age group. Um, worship is, I mean, there's a lot of history behind it too, if you want to talk Yeah, about I think first, it's a good point that the New Testament letters seem to assume that children are there, you know, because whenever Paul is giving a household code, he says, you know, children obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. This is the first commandment that comes with a promise. Um, multiple letters Paul writes, he gives that instruction. So it seems like, and the New Testament letters were read aloud in the assemblies. So it, he didn't say, parents, make sure you tell your children, obey your parents, you know, when you see them again after kids' ministry. It was <laughs> assumed they were there. Historically, it's interesting to see where what we now have as modern children's ministry came about. Um, and, and a lot of resources that you look at will, will trace um, the roots of kids' ministry as we have it today to England in, I believe it's the 1700s. I preached a sermon on this when we really went towards family integration in our church from having kids' ministry. So some of the details are fuzzy a little bit, but I think it was in the 1700s, churches began to see a huge rise in the number of orphans who were like basically street kids in these in, in these urban environments that were starting to spring up in, in, in London, particularly. You'd have high population density and everything that came with that, including like orphaned children who were just like living on the streets. And so churches began, you know, in a obviously in a very Christ-honoring way to start services for these children. And they started to help them, feed them, take care of the kids. They were not quite orphanages necessarily, some of them were, but then they started services that were geared towards these children. And so a lot of the early kids' ministry is like, 
for or it was like needed because there weren't parents. So we were we always told our church it's like, well, do our kids have parents or not? Yeah. <laughs> like we're their parents. When you see the pattern of scripture that the people of God worship God together, all of them. And that our children are included in in the people of God. They are a part of the people of God. They're holy. First Corinthians 7, same root word as the word saints. They are included in the instruction. And Old Testament and New Testament, it's assumed that we would be treating our children, like we said last episode, as if they belong to the people of God, and we're subject to the discipline of the people of God, the instruction of the people of God, the blessings of the people of God. And so we ought not take them and separate them out into this like sub-siloed category of like the junior people of God. Mm -hmm. There are some reasons that people give that I think it might be useful to just really quickly work through why these are not good objections. People say, for example, you've probably heard, well, the sermon's over my kids' heads. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You have a low view of your child then. (laughs) Yeah. You're dumbing down your kid. And I mean, and I too, I think like some pastors do have to be aware, like, I mean, I always think of Dr. Gordon at Grace Agenda when he'd stop and address the kids. You know, in a lot of traditions used to have a certain time of the service where the kids would come up and they would do catechism at the beginning and the pastor would, you know. So historically speaking, they they were engaging children in a way that we're just not used to engaging children during the service. And probably that's because the way we view Sunday morning worship is we go and consume instead of actively stopping to participate. Participating. Yeah, if you're just if you're acting like everything is going over your kid's head, you're probably not doing enough. You're probably not doing your job as a parent to draw out what they're actually getting from the service, also, teaching them to participate. There's a false view of of not just children but people in general of this what is the service for? Yes. As if modern church services have been basically shrunk down to like a musical introduction, then a lecture followed by like a musical outro. Yeah. And it's basically a lecture. So 90% of the service is a sermon. And and I think if you're following a, particularly if you're following a rich, reformed mm-hmm. Protestant liturgy, where you are engaging in a call to worship, where the people are called to worship, the people are called to confess their sin. We kneel in our yeah. church in confession of sin, all together, kids and adults. And then the, the, the minister gives the assurance of pardon. We sing psalms. We say amen. We say thanks be to God. And there's different responses in the service. There are readings that everybody's participating in. There's a sermon. You know, there are readings of Scripture. Then there's a sermon that is in there. There's the communion table. There's more singing. There's the uh, charge and the, the, the um, what's it called, the commissioning at the end of the service. So it's like a very participatory experience. Mm-hmm. And... What our service says, one thing I love about our liturgy is that if you were to just look at the shape of the liturgy itself, you could conclude these people don't believe that the service is just to transfer information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you think of your kids as like, well, unless they understand on an intellectual level every single level of the sermon, they're not getting anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they're seeing mom and dad kneel and confess their sin. Yeah. They're watching dad, dad hopefully, and mom sing psalms and hymns. Mm-hmm. They're hearing dad say amen. They're hearing dad say thanks be to God. They're they're seeing mom and dad listen with attentiveness. They're they're being turned to to you know pay attention to the hey look at pastor mm-hmm. when I was there yeah. the other day finally for for a rare moment of sitting in the sermon. I I was telling the kids several times 
look at Pastor Eric or yeah. look at look at Mr. Khan. <laughs> listen, he, he he's not he's a candidate right now, but listen to the sermon. So uh, one of the errors you're making, I think, there is like your first of all, your kids are getting things. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the whole point isn't that they learn things intellectually. Yes. And if it was, then why stop with separating the kids out? Why not like have all of the so-called auditory learners learn (laughs) different and then let's let's have the kinesthetic learners like go do a a skit, you know? No, don't do that. That's not a real suggestion. So are there any other objections that you can call to mind that people typically point to and say, this is why the kids should be in kids' church? I think that's the big one. That that really is the big one. Yeah. Or yeah. Parent, yep, what about parents distracted? Like, oh, I'm not getting anything. Now. Oh, well, yeah, that, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> You've heard people say oh, yeah. that. Have you ever said that? Like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm not getting anything right now yeah. from the service. Every, I feel right like now. every couple months I come home on a Sunday and I cry. Even Ben <laughs> asked me a few weeks ago, he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay. It's just been a really hard few Sundays. Yeah. I had to walk away because I was like, I think I might cry. But yeah, like the kids go through growth spurts and they have different needs. And it's like, I have to readjust my expectations. I have to readjust my game plan on Sunday. I have to readjust the rest of the week to be better prepared. And so it, yeah, it, it is very, very hard. And I don't, I don't want to complain about like, Oh, woe is me. I sit with all the kids on my own on Sunday, but I do feel like I've had to really run the gamut of this is a good plan. This is a bad plan. So when people do tell me, you know, they have one or two kids and they just can't do it. I I do kind of (laughs) chuckle. Yeah. You have five and your husband's the pastor. So he's not really helping much. And I have, I'm really grateful. I do. I have had a lot of help. I know Ben does swoop in and help Michelle and Sophie always very, very helpful. Everyone, I have many, many, many helping hands, but sometimes the reality is it's easier. My kids are more obedient when it's mom doing it all. And they yeah. all know that also. So, yeah, that's right. So you hear that, and and one response that I that I have to parents who say that, well, I'm not getting anything out of the service now because I'm continually training a child or correcting a child. And and one of the things that I would tell someone who's thinking that, first of all, I would say, stop throwing yourself a pity party. Like people need to hear this more. Stop throwing yourself a pity party when you have hard things in your life. When God gives you legitimate duties that are your duties, like your children are your duties, and you come to something that you be- you really understand and believe they are supposed to participate in, therefore it's your duty to help them participate in it, and okay, that's true, but it's hard. The worst possible thing that you can do is to give yourself space to self-pity. Yeah. Because, I mean, man, just wallowing it will not help you. You'll feel like you're being hard done by, but think about it. And I don't even like it when it's pretty common. I, I, I've i seen it. I know of a post in my mind. I'm not going to say who it was. Real famous Instagrammer, Christian Instagrammer talking about like, oh, if only the mom had offered to hold my baby for me so I could sit in the service. And she was usually spot on, but I was like, no, no, that's literally your job. But I yeah. think part of it, is because most people do have a consumer mentality. I'm I'm not going to church to sit down as long as I can to learn as long as I can. No. I'm going to participate. And so I understand part of that participation may be getting up three times to walk to the nursing mother's room. That's right. So I, when your expectation is switched, there is you realize like I shouldn't be throwing a pity party over this anyways or yeah. expecting everyone else to swoop in to parent for me. Right. <laughs> 
and praise God when people help, but yeah. it's not it's not their duty. It's your duty. Yeah. So a verse that I'd point you to, Ephesians 2.10 is a very important verse for all of us because it's kind of like the whole Christian life summed up, where Paul says that we are Christ's workmanship, or we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. He's that which he set before us that we should walk in them. And so there's like the whole Christian life. We're saved by grace and through faith. We're God's workmanship, not we're not our own workmanship. Created as new creatures in Christ for good works. That's what he created us for, which he set before us so that we could walk in them. And then Philippians 2, he works in us to will and to work for his own good pleasure. So when you're looking at something that you know is a good work, taking care of your children, teaching them the hard years-long work of teaching them to participate in the worship of God's people, that's a good work that God set before you to do. But that means that he's created you in Christ Jesus for that good work. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to fail to give you the resources that you need in order to walk in that. And so when you look at the church service and you realize that your children have made it more difficult for you, what you're looking at is like you're a tree, you're a fruit tree, and now you have fruit hanging on your branches. And the fruit tree shouldn't say when, the, when it has fruit on its branches, man, this fruit is so heavy. I wish I could get rid of this fruit. I wish someone <laughs> would take this fruit off for a little bit and go take care of it somewhere else and then maybe put it back on when I'm done. It's like fruit is heavy. Fruit is heavy. Churches, you know, pastors, when churches grow, when there's more people, there's more work to be done. Yeah. Fruit is heavy in church. Fruit, like every aspect of your life, the reward that you will get for obedience is more work because it's that's what fruit is. And we're, we really are so detached from the earth. <laughs> yeah. That when you have, like, think about all the cherries off of my parents' tree. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hundreds I of pounds. I can't even do much with the lots of cherries that we get. We get tons of cherries. Yeah. We touch maybe maybe a quarter of that tree. Yeah, maybe. That. So like literally harvest time, you're like, I don't know what the heck. I got to steward this somehow. Yeah. I don't want to waste this. This is so much work. I'm exhausted. My eyes are burning and I'm still pitting cherries. Yep. And it's six weeks later. <laughs> yep. You know, and so because we're so removed from that, we don't understand some of these metaphors sometimes in scripture. Like, no, it, it's using the word fruit for a reason is because it's a ton of work. Psalm 128, your wife will be a fruitful vine spread around your table. That means work for her and for you. So I think it's important to frame your mind up front when you're parenting in the pews, my children are good gifts from God. They come with duties, but these duties are good works that God set before me, and they're part of the blessing. Yeah. Because if you say, if you were to turn to God and say, God, why have you given me these children on this Sunday that are so difficult? I'm not learning anything in the service. I think God chuckles, and he says, oh, you're not learning anything? Well, you're not learning anything? Like, you're not learning what it's actually like? <laughs> like you're Trust me, you're learning the lesson you're supposed to be learning. And it's not necessarily hearing the sermon uninterrupted. I also think it's a pretty scary thing to stumble a child in Scripture. And so imagine the ways you're stumbling your child because you're impatient and frustrated. And Scripture tells us what's yeah. going to happen to you is a millstone's going to be tied around your neck. <laughs> Woo! Like wow. that, that I now think it should me. be that sort of a warning though. <laughs> no, it's true. If you're, if you look at your children as a curse, you're actually cursing God. You're saying, you're saying that light is dark and dark is light. 
this blessing God's given me is actually a curse. Instead of asking God, genuinely confessing to the Lord, you you need more patience, you need more help, you need more resources than you have resident in you, but God is faithful to give those. When he gives you those duties, he's faithful to his people to supply the need. So a lot of the time, I think our modern culture to women, it tends to tell them, like, what you need is a break. What you need is a vacation. What you need is your husband to step up and take the kids. You need, like, your friends, your parents. You need someone to come and take these blessings, duties from you, because, girl, you deserve it, and you just need a rest. You need to get a pedicure. You need to get a Target gift card. You need to go get yourself a, you know, a hibiscus lemonade. Okay, I'm going to go here, too, (laughs) because the other thing that's helped me is that my week is rich in many ways scripturally between you leading us, myself, lots of really good conversations with friends during the week, different gatherings, psalm singing. Yeah, that's right. I don't necessarily feel like I'm missing out on Sundays. You don't need the sermon to supply all of your teaching and spiritual needs. But if you're not disciplined well during the week, you're going to be looking to Sunday as the end all be all. And in some ways, I actually really liked Michael Foster's tweet the other day. Did you see that one about how uh, it was like the order of... The order of importance goes corporate worship, family worship, personal devotion. I do agree with that. I 100% agree agree with that, that that is important. He is right. He's very right. But I'm not going to freak out though, because all of the other things are just as rich. That's right. In different ways. Yeah. We are made for corporate worship, but I also know these, I partake of these other means of grace that the Lord has also said, you need to walk in these things too. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about some practical tips, because one of the things I think is helpful about hearing some practical things from Lexi is that she really does. I mean, I'm not joking when I say we pull into the church service about half an hour usually before we have a Sunday school hour, then about a half an hour before the service. And then we have our corporate worship gathering that's about an hour and a half or so each week. I typically teach Sunday school for an hour. Then we have that break. And a lot of the time, people are asking me questions. People are asking me about the Sunday school class. We go into the service. I lead the liturgy. I lead worship. You know, I'm the other elders also lead worship, but I'm one of the elders who's leading worship. I preach. I'm often leading communion or some other aspect of the liturgy. And then maybe by the charge at the end of the service, which is like the last two minutes of the service, I might be able to come back and stand with the people for a second. And then it's like, okay, the service is ended. If you need prayer, come up and the elders will be there. And then I'm there sometimes for an hour talking and praying with people. What that means is from about 8 a.m. Oh, and before that in the morning. And before that in the morning, I'm reviewing my sermon, five o'clock in the morning. It's pretty normal for you and I to be up between four and five on Sundays. Yes. For years. Sunday is a literal physical marathon for <laughs> both is. of us, yeah. physically. I don't think people realize how physical it is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't even I don't know how to sort of work emphasize and, it. Yeah, it's, and you're it's getting fine. little it's people good. ready, and you're getting head coverings yeah. on, little lady heads, <laughs> and you're getting... <laughs> you're getting a, I had to slip that in there. Okay. You're getting the little bonnet on Winnie. Oh, Base she's so bonnet. adorable. Someone needs to make that. Oh, so adorable. Maybe we'll come up with a, a bright hearth bonnet. Anyway... So all that to say, like when Lexi gives tips about how to how to how you, uh, help your children learn to participate in the corporate worship gathering, she's not talking theoretically about things that maybe you could. Well, I thought might this might work for someone. 
It's like these are actual things that these are Lexi's life also, for years and years. For and the years. first decade of our marriage and parenting, you weren't with me on Sunday mornings before church. I went to church at five. Yes. Now you're with me and we yeah. all go to church. We still go to church early. Yeah. You know? And it's still, I'm doing stuff still. Like, but for nine years, I was doing it all without you in the morning, getting yeah. breakfast, getting everyone dressed, getting me ready, getting bags packed, everything loaded up. That was hard. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> so, what are some what are some pitfalls that uh, moms and dads can fall into with parenting in the pews? What are some helps? You know, how should they be approaching it? Any practical helps that you can think of? Well, or pitfalls? I mean, when you brought this up last week, I immediately thought about how preparation Sunday does really start in the living room. Like, you have to be prepared. I mean, there in some ways, there's only so much preparation you can do. But like, are you getting clothes out? Are you getting every single Saturday on my index card? I have Sunday prep, which is iron and breakfast. Like, have Sunday morning breakfast made. Have ironing done at some point Saturday. I don't like waiting till Saturday night because if we want to do something, I don't want you know. Yeah. I, I think that's that can be the pitfall is that Saturday wants to be a fun day, and so we push everything off until Sunday and. So for me, sometimes I even get so prepared that Friday it's all done, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of it, is that you can't expect to succeed when your first time thinking about how Sunday is going to go is Sunday at 8 a.m. Yeah. Where yeah. are the kids' clothes? Oh, no. Yeah, breakfast isn't made. No, that's not going to work. I have to be ready myself to walk out the door before the kids even wake up yeah so ready by 6 30 yes i am completely ready everything ready to walk out the door i try to have the bags packed at least snacks pulled out you know yep and even so we're all still scrambling <laughs> it's always a scramble so even with preparation so you know one thing this this is actually true we'll talk about this in other episodes as well but one of the things that most moms with children especially young children in school and things like that going on and schooling, homeschooling, you can't, you can't be waking up at seven 30. Like you just can't and succeed in the day. Most people, you really need to be up at six for most moms. I think it's like six is the latest and ready to go. Cause otherwise your family's not going to have breakfast. You're going to be reacting instead of setting the tone. I think it was Nancy Wilson who said, mom needs to be a thermostat yeah she's setting the temperature she's yeah. setting the is this like cold and angry or is it like <laughs> yeah i think she said you need to be a thermostat not a thermometer where a thermometer checks the temp and then reacts to what's going on That's but right. she's setting the tone and the temperature for the day and at least for me and my personality it just means i have to be i have to be up <laughs> yep it means you have to be up so getting ready ahead of time is huge. Most of the success is going to happen Monday through Saturday, mm -hmm. not on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Are you disciplining your children regularly? Yes. Do correct. they get disciplined yeah. first time? Are they expected to sit still any like all the time? Are they expected yeah. to sit still at dinner? Are they expected to sit still uh, during reading time at night? Are they expected to sit still and listen? If they're not expected to sit still and listen until Sunday when the call to worship happens, friends. <laughs> they are not going to sit still yeah. and they're still not going to sit still. Like I'm not saying it's a utopia no. where you just do it right all through the week and then Sunday's easy because eventually it gets, I think like when we get, so now our eight, nine year old, he's actually helping with, he's, he serves, he goes in and helps with some of the technical aspects, like a diaconal type. He's not a deacon, but I mean, it's like serving, taking care of business. He'll go sit with another older 
a gentleman who does like different things with the soundboard and whatnot, and he'll help with that. By the time they get to that age, if the training is good, yeah. You'll still have to correct them sometimes and be like, yeah. hey, why were you uh, in the bell tower throwing <laughs> rocks at pigeons? That's never actually happened in our home. I don't want to slander our kids. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. It gets easier if you do the work consistently. So, so preparation's huge, obviously. Expectations throughout the week are huge. Mm-hmm. What about, let me describe a, a certain like way that... I think a lot of moms are tempted to answer the question of difficulty on Sunday and tell me why this is not the way you should go. Okay, tell me the problem with this. Mm. I think a lot of moms think, I need to be prepared with 16 different things to distract my kids, with 15, with a board game and a full meal and like eight coloring books, six books that they can read, like us. Five toys, and then you know we'll basically we'll bring the whole toy chest with us on Sunday. Why is that a bad idea? Because and what should you do instead? You're pacifying them. You're still not teaching them to participate. So yeah. I guess, and maybe it's like, <laughs> maybe it really is a theological difference. I don't know, but my kids, they're I I expect them to be participating as Christians, and so I I don't want to be distracting them from that because Sunday morning worship participating, raising your hand, saying amen, looking at the pastor is how they're obeying in participation as a Christian. And for really practically, I physically don't have a bag big enough to carry all of those things. Right. When you get past two kids, like that's impossible anyway. And, it's and then just, they start fighting over it. And it's so stress, especially if there's one parent. I mean, maybe if there, I don't know, maybe if yeah. there's two, you guys can handle it all, whatever. I have always found that to be extremely, extremely distracting and just extremely overwhelming for me. very overwhelming so we're not saying that you can't have some of our very little some little puffs or something for Winnie or there are some things that you can do but even that like we you start giving the 18 month old puffs and pretty soon they have to have 600 puffs one every (laughs) eight seconds through the whole service (laughs) and instead Mm. it's probably a better idea friend to tell them no pay attention I'll take you if out. You were, if you were, if you were to. with me, I would not do snacks for the baby. Right, she not would at be, all. Somebody would be rocking her, or she'd be getting to the point where she's old enough that she needed to be disciplined. Yeah, in an appropriate way. But I'm not I, like, yeah, well, no, obviously, take no. her out. Like I can't do Winnie. that though. I can't. No. I have to be able to sit there and pacify a little baby. I, I can't right. do that. So and some, and we do like sometimes for for a season when they're younger. Or they'll have one thing that they're allowed to hold on to. But even that. Come on, guys. Let's all be honest. They throw it immediately. It let's doesn't be honest, last long. It doesn't actually no. hold their attention you, for very long. <laughs> you can you can't rely on those things. No. And the point is, you're not supposed to. You're, yeah, they're supposed to be learning to participate. Like, and just to give you like some, like Lexi said that you probably have a lot of us have too low of expectations of kids. This morning in chapel, I was leading singing for St. Brendan's, and that's kids from first grade through high school, and the majority in the younger years our biggest class is first form, which is first to third grade. And we are at the end of the year, so I'm running them through songs we've sung earlier in the year and saying, like, let's see how much of this we remember with no music, with no, nothing in front of them. Most of the first to third graders sang the entirety of Psalm 2 from memory, which is, why do the heathen nations vainly rage? What mm-hmm. prideful schemes are they in vain devising? Like, that's the first line. So it's not a kid song. <laughs> And I'm telling you, I was looking over at these first and second graders, nailing it. 
they were singing the whole song. And if, if they might need a prompt and a line here and there, but like I ask Cyril, our, he's two. I ask Cyril after church all the time. I tell him beforehand, are you going to sing today? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to sing loud? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't sing all the time, guys, mm-hmm. by the way. But I'll, I pick the song. So I'm like, okay, we're going to sing this one, buddy. Are you going to sing Crown Him? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then I ask him, did you sing today, buddy, after the service? And he's always like, I sing. <laughs> I sing. <laughs> and know? they all have a favorite. I mean, even Winnie. Winnie loves, loves the songs. Bless the man. Cyril loves Bless Man. Cyril loves they Bless all Man. have their favorite song. And when you ask them what they want to to hear, they'll say it and then they'll start singing part of it. So they totally can. Bless yeah. the man that they can participate. I love Daphne's made up lyrics. To that. Oh yeah, it's the best. She just mixes and matches. <laughs> what is the one the the Christmas song? Uh, Silent night. Flash. Oh, Silent. Silent night. Hector of light. Hector of light. Like, yeah, guys. Hector of light. <laughs> oh, so, it's so it's sweet. money. So it's sweet. so good. So, yeah, not pacifying. Like your goal, yeah. uh, we're not saying like you should start giving a side eye to every other family that has coloring no. stuff. Not at all. Like you can use things like that. But my point was, don't rely on it and don't try to just have a parade of things to mm-hmm. pacify the kids. Because you know what you're teaching them? You're teaching them, mommy and daddy. This is the time when we're so scared of you making noise that it's a hostage situation. Yeah. And you can demand the next toy endlessly until the service is over. I remember Elizabeth Elliot said, if we're not teaching our children self-control in the pews, we should not expect self-control of teenagers in their pants. And I was oh, like, oh. That should have been our core open. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's good. So what else, any, what, else, what other tips? Like, I just think mom should go all in. I think they should go to church all day. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Just go all like, in. Like, I just... I think some people are like, oh, we'll just do the easiest parts for us. And still, I'm like, that is still not full, robust Christianity. I mean, when your kids are old enough to be in catechism, I don't know. Am I being a legalist here? You need to be in catechism. <laughs> like, oh. I think you need to start now teaching them instead of like, oh, no, this is this is what's easiest for mom. So oh, yeah. I'm going to do this. We just, we don't want to come early. We don't want to do yeah. that. No, go whole hog. Just do it. Throw yourself in because you'll get, you'll, you'll get stronger. You will. You really will get stronger. And I do think that it will give your kids, they'll love it more because they will be actively participating in the body of the church. Like my yep. kids love going early. Yep. Much to maybe Michelle and Ben's dismay in filling up big, all the yeah, catechism, not the catechism, the communion cups. They fill the communion cups. And that's where their friends are. Like yeah. they hang out with their friends. They have their their participation in the body of Christ. Yeah, on their level with their friends. Yes. I mean, they're in, and the other thing is, let me say this too. Don't and this kind of depends partially on the situation and the pastors and your church. So don't. I'm saying like in our church. There are two ditches that people can fall in with kids being present. On the one hand, they can be like, kids must be prim and proper, completely quiet, never going past a slow walk, like, <laughs> you know, never making kid noises, and they're and, and like giving everybody the stink eye if their kids aren't like, well, they must not discipline. Yeah. It's like, no, they're, they're kids. So there's going to be some kid noises. We try to say this regularly before the service, like, kid noises are okay. Moms, we have a nursing mother's room with video feed of the service if you need it, if you need it, but we're not worried about some kid noises. If they're particularly loud during a sermon, 
the the pastor needs to be a Chad and preach louder. And also, like I'm like I make jokes about it sometimes. <laughs> if the kids, if I make if trying to trying to make a point, some kids starts crying and they're like parents trying to get him out of the service, you know, but they're halfway deep in the pews or whatever. I'm like, can I get another amen, everybody? Amen from the one year old over there. <laughs> like kids, it should be normal for us to have kids there. The other ditch is like free for all, no discipline. We don't care. Our kids, where are your kids? I don't know. They're the one hanging from the chandelier or climbing the pipe organ. Like that's obviously bad, but there's some medium in there where I try not to intervene in kids until I we really need to. Until they're like on the stage messing with the, the grand piano or they're like hurting someone or if they're smiling and having a good time and they're hanging with their with their bros and they they go down to the basement and they'll hang out and play tag a little bit in the big room there. Really part of letting the little children come is you have to let them come as little children. So I think pastors can Again, part of this is out of your control. If your whole church culture is like, no, kids will be detained if they're... I would leave now. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not even I, kidding. No way I, mean, I would leave. I, we did. Remember, we sat... Even back then, we sat in the other room where we they were like, would not let the babies... No. <laughs> we were, like, we're like, our kids aren't allowed sorry. in here? Well, then we're not either. <laughs> you can do your fancy lecture and rock concert without us. I would. I will say that. Like, There's a happy medium. Maybe if there are any pastors listening, like, think about that. Maybe don't freak out. Sometimes parents will be like, uh, some people will come up, they're like, do you see that kids are being loud? Like, I, yeah, I know. They're kids. Let the little children come. Let them come as children. Like, don't let them come only if they're the most mature in their age group. So anything else you'd add to that? I don't know. It's It's been helpful just this year, like you specifically telling certain people, just like keep an eye on Lexi. Because it it, it can be awkward as a pastor's wife to like... I remember one time it was during a business meeting and my mom was coming to drop some of the kids off and one of the kids had a blowout, but I knew she wasn't going to want to walk into the middle of the business meeting. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to pull a member out. Like, I don't know what to do because you guys were announcing some stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll just tell Ben to like stand by the door because I knew that you had told me if you need something, talk to Ben. Yeah. And it's weird for me to like go tell other people, Hey, can you just stand by the door and wait for my mom? And like, get my kids but I had I had to leave with the baby and just little stuff like that just knowing that like you have taken care of me by just saying these are the people you go to Mm -hmm. and just like telling me that very specifically because sometimes I can feel as a pastor's wife right or wrong I just I feel I can feel bad and nobody makes me feel this way no literally nobody makes me feel this way people tell me all the time you guys are not an inconvenience I love helping you on Sunday but I still have that temptation to be like it's awkward. I don't want to have to go ask for help, especially in such a small, silly way. Like, hey, can you just wait for my mom? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Moms need to hear. A lot of moms struggle with. They need to be okay asking for help from the body of Christ. Well, don't and be I, embarrassed. as I've grown in my understanding of like what the body is, like the covenant body of Christ, th- this is these are small, simple ways. Even Allie yesterday helping me with Cyril. I was like, Allie, we need to just hold Cyril down and squeeze blood out of this womb. He's going to scream, but I need help. She's like, he got okay, bit by a dog at church. <laughs> let's do this. Not in the service. No. The neighbor's dog. But even stuff like that, literally when I was a new parent, I would have been so embarrassed to go ask somebody to yeah, help Yeah, and you, and you shouldn't, moms. <laughs> you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Just go for it. Yeah, ask we're, ask and the that's grandma. That's how it is. It's not can just my daughter, me. can you sit with us in the service yes. and help out? Yeah. Like literally, it's the grandmas everywhere. in the service would be so stoked if they're it's not true. like with... 10 other of their own grandkids, and you're just like, hey, 
would you mind sitting with us on Sundays? Yeah. Helping out? And you give them discipline rights? Not like full spank. I mean, like, don't tell, don't ask the random grandma to spank your kids no, for you. No, no, no. But just like, you can tell them, you can turn and tell them, hey, pay attention, be quiet. Yeah. If you're a grandmother or a, an old, like your kids are older, be looking. Who can you yeah. offer to help? I will say to the dads, I love looking out from the pulpit and seeing all the dads. I'm, I always wish I could be doing it, but all the dads bouncing the babies in the coffee room off to the side. Like, I just see them. And it's usually a swarm of dads with a certain age of kids, and then there's moms with nursing babies, and they're doing their thing. It's like everybody makes it work, Mm -hmm. and none of us are, like, wishing we had kids ministry. No. None of us are. I think we were all secretly so excited when COVID happened because it was, like, the final death blow to any reason to have. Yeah, we were like, forget about it. We're done with all that. And we had already... We've been lowering it and lowering it and lowering it. We just had the nursery age at that point. Yeah, like there were a few babies, but but then finally we're like, this is dumb. Let's just integrate completely. And and most people really were integrated at that point. Yes, already. It was just like, we just need to be done. Yeah, so another thing, like part part of the way that in God's providence that we've come to these things is that... Like guys, we've been we started as a church with kids ministry through age twelve. Mm-hmm. When I started ten, you know, however many years ago, that was the situation. And then slowly, you know, like Pastor Dan would come to me and be like, "We need to lower this to, to eight. And then I was like, "Oh, you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah." And we just all—I mean, it, it was a process. And you see this happening in churches a lot of the time with service in children's ministry. Is it so consumer minded that it really is hard to get people to fill those slots? Yeah. And and that right there is a sign like something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you guys have questions about this, one one place, we're going to wrap up here, but one place that we, we try to answer questions is on our Patreon. If you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash brighthearth. We do an, a, a patron-only show every week after the main episode. Um, we try to answer questions there and interact there more. It's really the only place that we have time to interact. Uh, and that also helps us just continue to do this. We pay a guy in our church to do sound uh, sound engineering and uh, mixing of the episodes for us. And it is very helpful. We're really appreciative of all of our patrons there. And we'd love to have you jump on and support the show in that way if you're able to. And also we give away some sweet patriarchy swag there like Feed the Patriarchy mugs all kinds of stuff so uh check that out make sure if you're listening and you haven't already give us your most honest five-star review anywhere you're listening spotify pod uh, apple and i know the episode must end at this point because why lexi what just happened she laid down completely i guess we're not filming a second episode. and not even like she didn't even lay down like a little bit she turned around fully and laid down like the whole way it i can't describe it anyway Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Bright Hearth.